Joshua is nice and easy to find. Um, sixth, sixth book in. The um, story sort of picks up again. We're starting a new series today, looking at Joshua. The story picks up at the end of Moses' life. So Moses led uh, God's people to the edge of the promised land. They haven't entered yet. Moses has died. Joshua is the new leader. And so we begin. So verse 1, chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, Yahweh said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For Yahweh, your God, will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land Yahweh, your God, is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you. Yahweh, your God, is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until Yahweh gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that Yahweh, your God, is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you, east of the Jordan, toward the sunrise. Well, then they answered Joshua, Oh, whatever you've commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may Yahweh, your God, be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. 
Gracious Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word and we do pray now that uh, it would inform our minds and transform our hearts, that uh, we uh, be people trusting in you, would be strong and courageous uh, as we uh, engage in spiritual warfare in this, in this life and uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I stood on the platform at the top of the cliff, the instructor said to me four words. She said, three, two, one, jump. I was wearing a harness. I had checked that the carabiners were secure. And I thought it was quite reasonable to trust that the long elastic cord would not break. And so I jumped off the cliff. After that, I remember nothing. <laughs> uh, just, just kidding. But uh, not everyone does jump. Uh, the instructor told me that uh, some people, they get to that point and they are so overcome with fear that the instructors actually have to bring them back from the edge. Now, you can't blame them for having those kind of fears, can you? Uh, and it would be especially, op especially understandable, not in this case, but it would especially have been understandable if the operators looked dodgy. If uh, the harness and the carabiners and the, uh, and the cord were not really worthy of trust. It would be foolish under those circumstances not to be fearful and it would be foolish to jump. Um, fear is, uh, can be a good thing, can't it? Fear is often a, uh, a sensible human response to threats, dangers and risks. And in fact, uh, sometimes to not be fearful uh, is foolish. To not be fearful may be because we have switched our brains off. Sometimes following God can be a little bit fearful, can't it? Sometimes following God can be scary because following God in the context of our fallen world uh, can result in challenges and difficulties. It can sometimes result even in ridicule and, and rejection from other people. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Have you ever felt uh, fearful to do that which you know God wants you to do? Um, at the workplace, perhaps, or uh, in your school, in the classroom, in the playground, uh, or even in your own family. Now, in the Old Testament, Joshua, humanly speaking, had some reasons to be fearful. Uh, the, uh, <clears throat> as Brett said, we're starting a new series on Joshua this week. We're going to come back to Luke a little bit later on but it's time for us to head back into the Old Testament and to pick up the uh, storyline of the Bible. We've already worked through Genesis and Exodus. We're going to jump over Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Numbers and uh, look at Joshua over the ne this next little while. And at this point, the people of Israel were on the, on the edge of the Jordan River and on the other side were the peoples who lived in the land which God had promised. And now God said that the time had come. This is three, two, one, jump kind of time. It was time to cross over the river. 
And uh, God wanted Joshua to lead Israel, to enter, to possess and to settle in the promised land. This is a big moment in Israel's history. Uh, do you remember from Genesis, when we looked at Genesis, that there were three things which God had promised to Abraham? He promised Abraham that uh, he would uh, give him a, what was the first one? A people. Second one, a land. And third one, a blessing. A people, a land and a blessing. You haven't forgotten the Genesis series. That's great. And, uh, and so here at this point in time, there are, uh, there are now many of Abraham's descendants. There is a people. And through Moses, God has brought this people up out of slavery in Egypt. And now the land which God promised is before them. Now Moses himself never got to enter the land. And uh, that was because of uh, a particular sin that he had uh, committed where he, uh, he, uh, uh, he trusted more in himself to bring out water from a rock than in, than in God, or at least he didn't give enough glory to God for it. And uh, as a result, God did not allow him to enter into the land. Moses uh, got to see the land. He uh, got to uh, see it from the... Uh, from the lookout on top of Mount Nebo. Uh, but he never actually entered into the land and he was buried outside of the land. However, although he was not perfect, Moses was a godly man. There were times when it's, uh, it was as if Moses was standing alone uh, in standing up for, uh, for righteousness and standing for God in the face of the rebellion of what seemed like the whole nation. He's, he held his nerve. In fact, uh, just before this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 34, so just a few verses upwards on your uh, few Bibles, Moses is honoured as the greatest leader. Have a look at that uh, in verses, verse 10 of, uh, of chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, uh, where it says, Since then no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders that the Lord sent to him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one, no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Now, <clears throat> what do you call that? You call that big boots to fill, don't you? Uh, a hard act to follow. And so how would Joshua feel? The great leader is now dead. The great moment in history has now arrived and the promised land is now to be conquered. It's on the other side of a raging river in floodwaters and he is the one who must now lead. Now, some people love to lead, don't they? Some people love to lead for the wrong reasons. Some people love to lead because they love themselves. They love power. They love authority. They love to be number one. But it seems to me that worthy leaders tend to be people who, who know their own weaknesses and do feel a burden of responsibility because they're other person-centred. Like Joshua. 
Uh, Joshua understood the, the challenges which were ahead. He understood the opposition which would uh, be faced from the outside. And as a mature man, he, op he understood the opposition which was likely to arise from within. He had seen that before and under Moses' leadership. Good leadership is never easy. It's never easy. And so in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 1, God gives Joshua two very important promises. First of all, that although Israel is taking the action of crossing, that the land will be for them a gift, a gift from God. That is, it is not something which they will achieve for themselves. And secondly, related to that, of course, is the promise that God will be with Joshua. Have a look at uh, verse 5, the second part of verse 5, where God says to Joshua directly, he says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I'm not going to leave you alone, and I'm certainly not going to abandon you. I'm going to be with you. Now, you can imagine the comfort that that would have been to Joshua. In our, uh, in our lives with God, in our Christian lives, we gain confidence by, uh, by looking back to the great things that God has done for us in the past, the way that he's demonstrated his power and his love towards us. And we think particularly of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Joshua had some very clear evidence of God's faithfulness that he could look back to. Uh, he had already experienced God's mighty miracles. As a young man... Uh, he had crossed over the, the sea as the waters parted, as the Egyptian army was in pursuit and got drowned. He was there. He was at the Exodus. He witnessed that. He witnessed the, uh, the faithfulness of God in caring for Israel in the wilderness. He knew God's presence, but for God at this time to personally speak with him to personally assure him with the promise of his presence would have been a great comfort. Because friends, one man plus God equals victory. No matter how big the opposition is. Is that right? One man plus God. In fact, just the plus God equals victory. Right? Just the plus God. And, so, and because of these promises, because of these truths, in verse 6, God is now able to say to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Now, it's worth thinking about courage, isn't it? Uh, I mean, what is, what is courage? Uh, the, it's not, courage is not the same thing as being a daredevil, is it? Uh, courage is not the same as just not even thinking through issues and dangers and threats and, and just going for it because you're a gun-ho kind of person. That's not courage. It may sometimes have good results, but may also be foolishness. The courageous person is the person who, who has fears, but they step forward anyway because it's the right thing to do. That's courage. 
That's facing your fears. That's acting in spite of your fears because it's the right thing to do. But Christian courage has the added dimension that despite our fears that we can step forward because we trust, we know that we're not alone, that God is with us. In Romans chapter 8, Paul reminds us that we can stand up and we can face persecution, hardship, even death itself because God has proven his commitment to us. He loved us so much that he gave up his own son for us. How much more is he going to, uh, how much more confident can we be that he's not going to abandon us, that he will give us our promised land of rest? And that, of course, is eternal life with him, where we rest forever. No, says Paul, in all these things we are more than conquerors, for I am convinced that nothing nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, in this passage here in Joshua chapter 1, three times God exhorts Joshua to be strong and courageous. But this is not the strength and the courage of the self-made leader the, who is confident in their own prowess. It is a strength and a courage which flows from confidence in the promises of God and it is a strength and courage which is fed by the word of God. Have a look at verses 7 and 9. In verse 7, Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isn't that nice? And you see here that, um, that courage and obedience to God's law and God's word for us are connected. The two things are connected. Joshua knew the human heart. He knew that in his leadership that there would be enormous pressure placed upon him to, to compromise on God's word, to water it down, to go easy. But in the face of that, he would need to hold his nerve Otherwise, of course, Israel could not expect to receive the blessing of God. Why should they expect to receive God's blessing if they're not obedient? In fact, uh, in chapter 7, which we'll look at in a few weeks' time, um, <clears throat> there was uh, sin that, was happened, that had happened amongst the, uh, amongst the Israelites and Joshua had to, uh, had to call sin for what it was. He had to identify the sinner and he had to, to punish the sinner. And that's not easy to do. That's not always the popular thing to do. But he, he took nerve and he held his nerve. But you know what? To obey God's law, and before you can obey God's law, you actually have to know God's law, don't you? And uh, Joshua ha would have to know the word of God. Uh, in verse 8, he would need to meditate upon it 
day and night. It's worth thinking about what meditation is, isn't it? Because there's a lot of people talk about meditation these days and, and meditation, the way that a lot of people understand it, is like Eastern mysticism. And in Eastern mysticism, uh, to meditate really means to, to empty your brain of all thoughts. And if you empty your brain of all thoughts, you're going to experience peace. Well, of course you're going to experience peace because there's going to be nothing there. <laughs> That's different to Christian meditation because Christian meditation doesn't involve emptying your brain of all thoughts. Christian meditation means filling your brain, filling your mind with the thoughts of God through the word of God, reading God's word, thinking about God's word, praying about God's word, infusing God's word in our minds so that our lives are then shaped by God's word. So that it becomes part of who we are. It becomes our DNA. How's that going, by the way, for you? Are you spending time uh, each day reading God's word and thinking about it and praying about it? If not, you know what the best way of starting doing that is? Just start doing it. Just pick up Joshua uh, tomorrow morning and just start reading chapter 1. That's the best way of doing it. Uh, get into God's Word and, and, and read it on a daily basis. And just, just don't read it and forget about it. Think about it and pray about it. Uh, and that's what uh, you see, because it's not just leaders who need to do this. Uh, in Psalm 1, the, uh, the truly blessed person uh, is the man who doesn't uh, consort with, he, do, he doesn't hang around with, with uh, sinful people all of the time and adopt their lifestyle, but rather he's a person who meditates on the law of God day and night. And so this is for all of us. And guess what? The man who meditates on the law of God day and night, you know what happens to them? Well, they're like a tree that's planted by streams of living water. They suck up its nutrients, they grow and they produce fruit. That's who we want to be, is it not? And that's who Joshua had to be if he was going to be a godly leader because leadership uh, in God's, amongst God's people is not simply about making good decisions, it's actually about leading others in godliness so that others become more godly as they see the godliness in their leaders. That's true leadership. And so now the scene is set... And in verses 10 through to 18, it's now time for Israel to take action. Verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Get ready. It's time to go. Israel is to act. They are to cross the Jordan. They are to take possession. But yet again, he reminds them that this will be a gift from God, not of your own efforts. So it's time to move. But then you'll notice in verses 12 through to the end of the chapter, that in fact, all Israel must cross. Now, why does this need to be spelt out? What's the background here? 
because here, Joshua, in these verses, 12 to 18, has a special word for the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so what's this all about? Well, I think the background here, particularly uh, background in numbers, is important for us to understand. Because uh, whilst Israel was still being led by Moses, uh, Israel was, was God's instrument for, for judgment on people who lived on the side of the Jordan River that they were on, and that is the eastern side of the Jordan River. Uh, in number, and, and so they conquered peoples who lived on the eastern side. And in Numbers 32, the tribes of Reuben and Gad made a request to Moses. Uh, you see, the land on the eastern side was very good grazing land and the tribes of Reuben and Gad had lots of livestock. They had big herds. And so they asked Moses if they could be given that land. Now that angered Moses. Moses was furious about that request because he suspected their motives were not, were not pure. Uh, he, he suspected that they were actually not willing to cross the Jordan with the rest of Israel and possess the land on the other side. And this was, seemed to be a repeat of something which had happened 40 years earlier. Because remember, 40 years earlier, they had been on the verge of Jordan and they'd sent in 12 spies into the land to come back and report on what it was like and so that they could uh, take their action. And 12 spies went in, 10, the 12 spies came back and 10 of those spies said, don't do it. The people on the other side, they're bigger than us. There were two spies who said, yeah, let's, let's go. Do you remember who they were? That one was Caleb, the other one was Joshua. But because of that failure to trust in God, God deemed that that generation would not enter the land and they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, this is what Moses is concerned about. Moses sees a repeat of that. However, they assured Moses that their motives were pure and they promised that their men would cross the Jordan too, like everybody else, that they would be involved in the battle, that they would be involved in the conquering of that land, but their land would nevertheless be on the eastern side. Now, the tribe of Manasseh was involved in this as well. I want to show you this on the map because it's uh, pictures are easier, I think. Uh, I don't know if you can see that at the back there, but um, uh, try to describe it. There we have the Jordan River, and you can see on the eastern side of the Jordan River, that is the land allocation for Reuben. Uh, that's the land allocation for Gad. And up the top there, we have Manasseh. And you'll note that uh, the western side is the allocation for the other tribes. However, you'll also note that Manasseh has an allocation on the western side as well as the eastern side. So uh, half the tribe of Manasseh were allocated land on the east of the Jordan, 
half were allocated land on the west of the Jordan. And that, by the way, is why we often hear the term the half-tribe of Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh was the son of Joseph, uh, Joseph being a son of, of Jacob. And there is no tribe of Joseph. There is the tribes of his two sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, it's not because of that that it's called the half-tribe of Manasseh. After all, there's no such thing as the half-tribe of Ephraim. It is because of this uh, uh, allocation of the land on uh, either side that it's referred to as the half-tribe of Manasseh. Does that make sense? Okay. So, uh, and, and that explains what's going on here uh, in Joshua chapter 1. Because in Joshua chapter 1, it is now time for the tribes of, uh, of, of Gad and, and Reuben and Manasseh to make good on their promise to Moses that they would cross over and they would fight with their brothers on the other side. It's now time to make good on that promise. And you see, it could have turned out differently, couldn't it? Because they could have said to Joshua, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I mean, we're settled. We've got our land. Our herds are doing fabulously. And our promise to Moses, well, he's dead. They could have said that. Imagine the consequences. Imagine the consequences. They would have, they would have not experienced the great defining uh, act of God's miracle in bringing Israel across the Jordan through the parting of the, uh, the water, which we'll look at the, in a couple of weeks' time. They would not experience that identity-forming uh, miracle. Uh, secondly, Israel would have been divided, not just geographically, but sociologically as well, because there would have been one group who trusted in God and the other group who didn't trust in God. And that's the third and most important thing, because by not crossing, they would have shown that they do not trust in God, that they were not prepared. to. This was three, two, one, no thanks. That's what it would have been. However, there's good news, because in verses 16 to 18, their response to Joshua is actually reasonably good. It's a threefold response of whatever wherever and whoever. Whatever you command, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. And whoever does not obey, we'll be dealt with. Right? Whatever, wherever, whoever. Although there is a note of stuff in there as well that talk about the Lord your God, not the Lord our God, but anyway... It's nevertheless not a bad response. And their last words to Joshua, well, they too encourage Joshua to be strong and be courageous. That's the response he's after. Now, did you know that Joshua was not always called Joshua? Uh, the, the name that his uh, parents gave him was the name Hoshea, which actually means salvation. Uh, it was Moses who added uh, God's name to his name. Uh, you would have noticed when Brett was reading, uh, when he read the Lord, he read uh, uh, Yahweh. And uh, what Moses, which is the uh, Hebrew word, 
what Moses did is he combined the name of God with the name that uh, had been given, Hoshea, and he comes up with Yehoshia, which means that the Lord is the source of salvation. It's profound change, actually, in his name. And we anglicise that. We anglicise Yehoshia to Joshua, and another version of that name is Jesus, the source of our salvation. And like Joshua, we face our battles, not uh, against Canaanites swinging swords, but against the world, the flesh and the devil. And it is for us spiritual warfare until we enter our heavenly rest. Think of your own life. Are there times when you have been afraid to do that which you know that God wants you to do? Are there times? How about talking to a non-Christian about the gospel? That can be a bit scary, can't it? Uh, or even you know, doing something like just inviting someone to come in to church to hear the gospel. Uh, in Australia today, there is a growing intolerance towards Christians. Have you noticed that? In our so-called tolerant society, people are tolerant of everyone except those who don't tolerate certain things. <laughs> And then they're very intolerant. And uh, as Christians, we've got some, uh, some clear thoughts on things which are right and things which are wrong. Uh, to believe in God, that's right. God exists, that's right. Uh, to not, uh, you know, we have got clear thoughts. And so we experience uh, in our workplaces, in our schools, and especially in our media, and sometimes in our own families. I mean, I've, I've, I've been with godly parents who've raised their children really, really well, but have seen their children argue against them and criticise them for the faith that they have in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's tough. And, and to lovingly speak about Christ or even to comment on what is best for our society in God's eyes, such as, for example, God's plan for sex and God's plans for marriage, to actually speak up and say, well... You'd rather jump off a cliff, wouldn't you? <laughs> With a bungee cord attached. It's hard to face those fears. It's hard enough for us to even resist the, 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 the temptations of the world ourselves. Because sometimes we fear that by following God, doing that which is right in God's eyes, that we might somehow miss out on you know, the fulfilled life. And we fear that. When Jesus commanded his disciples to preach the gospel throughout the world in Matthew 28, what promise did he give to them? How about, and surely I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He's with us as we tell people about Jesus. How about that? Um, when the author to the Hebrews encouraged his, his readers to stand firm for godliness, to have their lives shaped by godliness and to stay away from sexual immorality and greed when he encouraged his readers to be content with God and content with the ways of God and to stand firm. He used the words that God used towards Joshua. 
Never will I leave you, says the author of Hebrews. Never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? As I stood on the edge of the cliff, about to, uh, the, the instructor said to me, I notice you've got something in your pocket. What is it? I said, it's my wallet. And she said to me, well, would you like me to hold your wallet so you don't lose it on the way down? <laughs> and I had a decision to make, didn't I? And as I handed over my wallet to her, I thought to myself, if I can trust her so much that I'm about to jump off a cliff at her command, then I think I, think I can trust her with my money. <laughs> and if I can't trust her, I don't think my money's going to be of much use to me. <laughs> Afterwards, I went up to Cassie and said, Cassie, did you get a photograph of that? She said, photo? I couldn't even look at you. <laughs> How much do you trust God? Do you trust him so much that your trust for him is greater than your fear of man? By giving up his son, he has shown that he's committed to us, that he loves us. He has shown us with the greatest of clarity that we can trust him with everything. We can trust him with our very lives. So be strong and courageous. Do that which God wants you to do. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your promise that you will be with us. We pray, Father God, that in this world where we are tempted in so many ways to compromise, that we would be people who are infused with your word and that we are enthusiastic for your word, that we would be people who have the courage, the conviction to tell others about Jesus and to live godly and upright lives as we wait for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Saviour and the entry into our rest. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.